In this week's episode, the January comic poll continues to be a little thin, but we pull out some really cool gems from Marvel and IDW. It's all happening now on Cover B. Welcome back, everybody. Good afternoon, listeners. To the next episode of Cover B. More Cover B, it's true. We just keep coming. We just keep coming. <laughs> we just, when you Just when you thought you've had enough. You're like, oh, man. Comics. Surely there's now more comics for them to talk about this week. And then, surprise, we're here. Somehow there was more. <laughs> Though. This week was, I don't know. <laughs> this week was really advertisement heavy in the comic world yeah it's kind of funny because we came out of the holiday season where it was like a million books getting released and like even even like the week of christmas when there was only like six it was like incoming number one yeah like really important stuff Doctor strange number one and stuff like that and so, and so many like, books ended the like last couple weeks of last incoming? year that, was incoming yeah. Christmas or was incoming New Year's? No, incoming was the Christmas week, right? Yeah, yeah. incoming was the Christmas yeah, yeah. week. And, like, there, there were so many books that ended, and so they were, like, really important books because they were finalizing, like, seven different stories. But now it's just sort of like, meh, let's re-release yeah. some stuff. Like, like, I read, personally, six books, and I just thought about it and Four of them are technically advertisements because the first one I'm going to talk about technically is kind of an advertisement. <laughs> just thinking nice. about it. Just thinking about it. I, I hadn't thought about it, but it for like random stuff too. Like, why are comics all being adverts right now? Stop it. Yeah, I don't know. Stop. So anyway, we're going to dive <laughs> right on in. Uh, you want to kick us off? Yes. So the first one that I'm going to talk about a la the first advertisement in the bunch <laughs> is um, Jessica Jones blind spot number one. So this is the first iteration of Jessica Jones since Brian and Michael walked away. Um, and Brian, Michael Bendis and Michael Gatos. I'm on first name basis. <laughs> Just not everyone who listens at home is on a first name basis. So. We're buds, okay. Okay. So BMB. <laughs> um, but yeah. So the this boom. Is, yeah. So since he went to DC, right when he left, there's actually a story in the back of the book where Kelly talks about how Brian Michael Bendis hit her up on Twitter and sent her a personal direct message. It was like, hey. You should write Jessica Jones next. And she was like, great. Oh, my God. Crap. What am I going to do? And like panicked. And I thought that was hilarious and valid because that would be horrifying and amazing at the same time. So this is the first iteration of Jessica Jones on a new non-creator team. Um, and it was really good. Okay. It was really cool. good. I'm really proud of Kelly. Kelly killed it. Like. Kelly Thompson, she nails this type of voice. I actually was really excited because people were speculating who would, because it was announced back when Brian Michael Bendis was heading over to D to DC that he had given the like blessing for who was going to write Jessica Jones next to a female. And I had speculated from the very beginning that it was going to be Kelly Thompson because she was coming on strong and like, really pumping stuff out at that time and her voicing was like right 
at that same level as Jessica Jones. So I thought she would be a really good fit. And I was right. She's a great fit. She, it, it feels very similar to when she did Hawkeye. Mm-hmm. It has that same tone. She does that tone really well. There's a tone that kind of pervades along certain characters, like the Jessica yeah. Jones and the Hawkeyes and the Hellcats and the, 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 yeah. the, the Spider Womans. Yeah. Like, effectively, if you're one, if you're in the Captain Marvel squad, <laughs> yeah. you kind of have this tone, and Kelly nails that tone. The reason I say this book is technically kind of an advertisement is because this is not its first release. Oh, really? No. This is its first release in paper. Oh, was it like an online thing? This was an online exclusive, uh-huh. and they're trying to maximize people getting the Marvel. It's like Marvel Unlimited, right? Yeah. yeah. So they're yeah. trying to get people to get Marvel Unlimited. So this is the first release of this book. This book's been out since last year. Okay. On Marvel Unlimited. All right. Well. That's why I was sitting here thinking about it, and I was like, damn it, that's an ad. <laughs> <laughs> damn it. <laughs> yeah. So, but it's great. Like, it's a... It, the art's good. It it feels it's different from Gatos, but it feels very um from Gatos, if that mm-hmm. makes sense. Like if you look at art on a tree, like these two are very like on a similar tree branch. Like yeah. they they coordinate very well. They they make sense. Um but the storyline makes sense for Jessica Plop, you know, the things going on, the way she speaks, her inner monologues. It's just it's very consistent, and as someone who is very nervous about having, you know, the characters I love who originally had only really been written by one person, I was really nervous about that transition. I'm always very nervous about the, the consistency and the, the unification of the characters along different streams, and it works, and I'm really happy about that. So good job, Kelly. I know I've had some smacky talk lately because I'm not the biggest fan of Star, but this was great, and I appreciate you. Cool. I'm glad that turned out well because I know yeah. you were nervous about somebody Ugh. taking over. But, I mean, it makes sense for her. I mean, she – I believe it was, like, the most recent Hawkeye series, Jessica Jones, was there for a good bit of it. Yeah, um, yeah, it's true. So she's had it's experience true. writing it, so it's cool that, you know, that she got – she got it right. Yeah, you know. she made it work, and I'm very happy about that. Cool. Thank you, Kelly. Um, I wanted to talk about this is from IDW. Uh, it's called Rising Sun Number One. Um, this is a cool book. I picked it up not really knowing what it was, and I'll explain what I mean by that later. Uh, <laughs> but it's got a cool samurai vibe to it. The art is really nice. Uh, the art's done by Martin Cocolo or Cocholo, uh, Cholo. I don't know. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm horrible at reading a name and being like, oh, yes, <laughs> it's where the accent marks are. We really should take, like, entomology classes before we do this well, podcast. I, back in the days of yore, when I was, like, a doe-eyed first-time podcaster, I would, like, sit down before we do an episode, and I'd look up videos of, like, interviews with the various creators. Wow, that's so much so work. That I could, yeah, so that I could hear them, like, how they pronounced it. Even, like, names I knew how to pronounce, I would be like, well, what if I've been pronouncing it wrong this whole time? Which we've done on multiple yeah, occasions. Yeah. Looking you know, at you, Kevin Feige. <laughs> or friggin' 
Sinkovich. Yeah. Um, Sinkevich. Sinkevich. Um, and stuff like that. Like, I just wanted to, like, you know, get to know. But there's so many creators, and who knows? So and some I just, of them I don't, don't interview. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, like, true. Anyway, um, the art was really cool in this book. The story was really good. It had kind of a cool, like, if, you know, anime narrative. Like, not not to generalize just because it's set in, like, feudal Japan. But it did have this, like, anime narrative where it was, like, a pretty, you know, like, the typical anime narrative in a lot of, like, fantasy and adventure animes, right? It's right. It's, like... There's an acceptable goal. So it's like, we are the good guys, and we are setting out to do blah. Right. So I'll use, like, you know, it's been a long time since I've watched this, but I'll use, like, Inuyasha as an example. Like, we are the good peoples, and we are setting out to get these, like, shards of the whatever in order to stop the big bad evil from gaining enough power to conquer the land again. Or Dragon Ball, where it's, we are the good people going out to get these balls that for some reason, so the bad people don't get the balls. So we can make a wish, and the bad people don't get to make a wish from the swole-ass dragon. Um, (laughs) Exactly. So it's it's like that kind of like standard generalization. It's like, monsters are coming back. We're going off to find what the source of this darkness that's sweeping the land is. Okay. Yep. And then it has, like, you know, specialized characters, which I feel like is another kind of, like, very standard anime thing. Yeah, thinking it of turns like, into, like, an RPG. Thinking of, like, Naruto or not technically anime, but, you know, uh, Last Airbender. Right. Um, where, like, in Naruto they have the different, like, villages the different like clans right um, right in this they've got like six <laughs> different clans that all seem to have like their own sort of abilities and like the lord of the rings syndrome yeah correct. <laughs> so yeah i guess it's not standardized to um to anime, anime uses it like, a lot though yeah, yeah it, it one is of those things that, they adopted yeah, yeah but um i love that kind of stuff i love that kind of stuff in video games and tv because i feel like it's just like I feel like when you set your premise to be very, like, easy to lay out on paper, you can do a lot of stuff along the way. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's and like, it- um, it's using another anime, like, One Piece. The whole, like, setup to One Piece is, like, I am related to this famous pirate. I want to be a famous pirate. I'm going to collect a crew and go to these different islands to become a famous pirate and find this famous treasure from my famous pirate relative. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's easy peasy to understand. And I'm sure at some point someone's <laughs> going to latch onto this and just like raise hell because I've got something wrong along the way. Yeah, and probably. One, and one of my anime <laughs> generalizations, they're going to be like, it wasn't shards in Inuyasha. It was pieces. <laughs> um, well, and it's, it's like, it's like you said, it's one of the reasons why anime is able to bring in like effectively different bad guys every episode. Yeah. Like if you think like Sailor Moon style going the girly route, um, like they're hanging out and they're all we're collecting Sailor Scouts and we're gonna be Sailor Scouts and that's the thing. And then you go along every time, but there's like new bad guys that yep. can be brought in along the way because you have such a generalized premise that you could just sort of like 
there's going to be random people that want to stop you, but they don't have to all be related. They can all be like yeah. randomized yeah. because it's a generalized enough. It honestly, idea. like, I think if you're big into comics, you should give <laughs> anime a chance. I agree. Um, because a lot of anime plays out very similar to how comics play out. They, you know, it it's made up of story arcs. Yeah. So like, you know, using one piece as an example they'll get to an island there will be some sort of like pirate lord or some sort of like bad guy on that island and then like the next few episodes will play out on that island it will resolve and they'll move on to the next one it's all part of the same journey but it's made up of like little short bits story arcs yeah absolutely um you know naruto the same thing like naruto like especially in the early bits of naruto where they're still like in school and training It'll be like, you know, here's this fight between these two guys. That's going to take up two episodes. And then, like, here's <laughs> that guy wins. He's obviously, like, the big bad of this story arc. Someone else is going to jump in and fight him, and they get their ass kicked. And then the, here comes this guy. He's going to come in and fight him. You know what I mean? Yeah. And um, so I, I think it's a good format that translates well into comics. It does. So the fact that they've kind of set this up to be that way feels really nice now what i didn't realize is that this book effectively is just a tie-in to a board game would you say it's probably an advertisement it's kind of kind of advertising <laughs> um it it was cool like it was a, it was a cool story and i'm i might still pick it up uh it's got a lot of like tastes of japanese folklore in it and that's cool. stuff that's really cool but it leaves me kind of like I don't know. Whenever it's one of these sorts of things, there isn't a lot of variety you can do on the character design because the character designs for like the bad guys and stuff like that have to match with the board game. So if it's already pre-established, then it's going to be like working those character designs into the story right. as opposed to like organically bringing in a, new yeah, ideas. As opposed to the character designs yeah. directly reflecting the story. Sometimes it works. Sometimes it feels disjointed. Um, so far, from what I see, it works. But it's only been one issue. But it's really cool. It's worth picking up if you're into, like, you know, stories about samurai and ninja and, like, you know, people in, like, a feudal Japan setting that can do, like, special powers. And they, like, call out the special powers as they do them, which is hilarious. And I love that. Um, that's that's I love one that of my it's favorite like, It things. opens with them, like fighting a dragon and it's this like fairly realistic fight between these like various powered shinobi type people and this dragon and then one dude just like is like spinning leaf dance of pain and like does his thing and it's just funny that they like actually call out their powers like i think that's that's uh, yeah that's that um, it was always fun when i went from watching sailor moon to reading sailor moon manga and actually seeing them depict that on the page and i was like i didn't think they'd actually go through with it on paper yeah but they do and it's yep. great yeah, it's, <laughs> it's fantastic i love it i uh, if like next time i get to play an rpg instead of running one my character is going to shout everything that he does <laughs> It's just it's name a, everything. It's adorable. Like it's absolutely adorable. And I'm gonna have like excessive adjectives, so I'm not just gonna be like magic missile pew. It's gonna be like Righteous tyrants, fury. tyrants swirling fingers of doom. Pew, pew. 
Um, anyway, Rising Sun number one. It's from IDW. It's written by Ron Mars and David Rodriguez. Um, it's a cool book. It it seems really really fun. Um, like I said, it's gonna have some twinges of Japanese folklore in it. Uh, we saw uh, like obviously it opens with a dragon. There's various different kind of like Japanese style warriors involved, um, and there's it closes with I forget what their what the Japanese word for them is, but they're like spirits or ghosts. They've got these long, freaky tongues. Um, so it's really cool. Uh, I recommend it. Honestly, checking it out, it's good for something that isn't necessarily like superhero-based, but is still, you know, steeped in adventure. Nice. So worth, Very cool. Worth a pickup. All right. Now we're going to get into one of the weirder books I read this week. <laughs> um, so we talked, I think it was last week. It was last week. Was it last week? Okay. The last week there was Ruins of Ravencroft. Carnage. Carnage. Yeah. I thought they were all, I uh, admittedly I went in not knowing. This is my fault. I should have researched. I thought they were all going to be Ruins of Ravencroft Carnage and it was going to be like a series and then it would progress. That's not exactly how this is. So it's actually, this week was Ruins of Ravencroft Sabretooth. Mm-hmm. So... The ruins of Ravencroft continues, but the vignettes of the past change depending on whomever they feel like focusing on. And this one was equally as weird as Venom. Maybe more so, because I don't entirely understand the purpose it served in this instance. So, spoiler alert, now we know that Sabretooth and Logan a la Wolverine were at Ravencroft at an in at, at some point in mm. the early 1900s because reasons yeah ta-da so, the, <laughs> the frame story for is really good for uh ruins of Ravencroft is effectively uh I don't know if I mentioned this last week I think I did but so the the series is made up of a frame story where Kingpin arrives at the ruins of Ravencroft after the whole absolute carnage thing. Right. Um, which I believe it was Deadpool that burned down Ravencroft. That doesn't if I surprise remember me. Right. Doesn't it may have happened in the main title. I don't know. My, my memories don't of comics don't last much <laughs> these days. <laughs> There's too many comics um, to memorize. It's unfortunate, but it um so there they he arrives at the ruins of Ravencroft. Misty Knight and John Jameson are already there. Um, Wolfie it's boy revealed yeah it's revealed that john jameson <laughs> got hired rehired by kingpin effectively to be like the head of security at the new ravencroft right so kingpin's meddling um they find this diary of the ravencroft guy like effectively the their arkham yeah. Um, and it, it, that's what it is, is. It's Marvel trying to turn Ravencroft into Arkham. Ravencroft's always just been kind of off on the side. It's had a few moments in, like, the 90s and stuff and in, like, the trading cards and stuff where it's popped up and its name's been used. But it's, like, it's never really been a thing. Like, it's never really had a lot of lore. And now um, they also introduced um, Mr. Fantastic yeah, just gonna, sort of, like, shows up. Yeah, I was going to say, uh, yeah, Reed Richards just kind of, like, pops up and is like, I'll take that diary. And he really just doesn't fit the aesthetic 
and or it's, the plot it's weird i don't know why he wouldn't show up in plain clothes it really bothers me that we're in two like 2020 and superheroes are still just totally cool walking around in spandex like you know i what get though? it i get it the fantastic fours like uniforms are like specialized where they can do the same things that they do but like you're the smartest dude on the planet and you can't invent like a flannel shirt that does the same thing you know what though you know what though of everyone in the marvel universe reed would be the one to continue to wear a stupid outfit because he's also the same person who after his best friend names themselves the thing he determines himself myself mr fantastic yeah so clearly he's arrogant enough to be like, I want to make sure everyone knows who I am. Yeah, that is and it's seriously. Like, what are you doing, bro? Seriously, honestly, one of my favorite moments in comic book history. It's is awful. <laughs> it's so bad. In the, I feel like we've talked about this on the podcast, but I'll go ahead and recap. So in the like first issue of Fantastic Four, they have their transformations. You know, it's all like really like, extreme like reed starts stretching can't control it sue starts disappearing can't control it johnny catches on fire and can't control it and then ben turns into this giant gross rock monster and i believe sue at some point is like what is that thing and he gets angry because he's like it's me it's it's yeah ever loving blue eyed ben Grimm. um <laughs> that was a good ben thank you uh good. this is just some new yorker <laughs> And, uh, so they, you know, they quarrel and, like, kind of fight at each other and argue. And then they fight Mole, the Mole King and his monster, random monster. And then at the end of it, they're like, we need to make a team. We need to team up and do this for good and be good. Protect people. Be heroes and protect people. And... Ben has this, like, emotional moment where he's like, okay, but I'm not going to be Ben Grimm no more. I'm going to be what Sue called me. I'm now the thing. And right after that. Just immediately. immediately Next frame. They do, like, a, you know, hands-in, go-team thing. And as they're doing that, right after Ben says, call me the thing, and is all, like, count, you know, or or Phantom of the Opera, like, oh, Uh. don't look at me. Fucking read. (laughs) (laughs) Is like, and I'll be Mr. Fantastic. And everyone just lets it happen. Like, oh, read. (laughs) And that's just how it is. I don't know what it is about Marvel, but all of the smartest dudes are jerks, are horrible people. I mean, that tends to be how it goes. Anyway, backtracking. Uh, so we're back to the frame story. They show up, and then they realize that there's, like, an underground facility right beneath the ruins that no one knew about. So they go down to that, and that's in this issue. They're down in the underground ruins. They find that somebody familiar Ooh. that we know. Uh, it's pretty fun little cameo but again it same with carnage it just like messes with the timeline so much really hard so much and it's like how like i Uh. feel like we know enough about this character that like how would he be here like i'm willing to believe Sabretooth and wolverine were there at some point in time because they were that's just kind of what they did for like hundreds of years it's just like gallivant all over the place and harass each other end up in weird places 
<laughs> but the other dude, who I'm not going to spoil because it was kind of a cool cameo, it just doesn't fit for me, and I don't know why. Um, but yeah, someone was down there doing weird, like, freaky genetic experiments and, like, building Frankenstein monsters. And we started to get hints that there that Kingpin might be looking for something or have some sort of connection to this. Or have been in the facility. Yeah. And then, you know, we go to the vignette story so the anthology story um and it focuses on uh you know the founder the arkham founder oh excuse me the ravencroft founder um (laughs) whose name is like i don't know i forget his first name billy bob ravencroft the third and he it's not actually his name um and he's like founding the asylum he founds it and then we flash to Wolverine being there. He got like hella lobotomized and is just like a like mindless lump as his body heals. And he got an arm chopped off because one of the doctors there, who is the cameo I'm speaking of, wants to do tests on it. And Sabretooth is also there working as a freaking orderly and is like, I'm going to kill you. And then there's a werewolf. And that's that's pretty much it. <laughs> so. These timeline pieces are dumb. They're well, okay. They're they're weird, and they're just kind of like they feel very throwaway. And I yes. feel like I would enjoy this book more if it was just about them finding weird things in the ruins of Ravencroft, as opposed to <laughs> these history pieces which like i said are trying to establish ravencroft as this like dark mysterious labyrinthine thing that it's not so that it can compete with arkham you know what i mean and it just feels like it's we're so late in the game yeah for marvel to be like we want an arkham too you know what i mean like arkham has been established forever as being this like dark creepy place where there's like mystery and lore and like almost you know lovecrafty and horror seeping out of the corners but like we haven't seen that with ravencroft and i just don't know why now in 2020 marvel's so desperately trying to make ravencroft into arkham so two things first thing okay it's not dumb as harsh but I think Chris is right in that I really like the idea of the the surrounding plot. Like, anytime I get to watch Misty Knight fight, like, zombies, that's awesome. I mm. want more of that. I don't understand. And then, then be, like, ripped out of this cool narrative to read, like, weird historical pieces that I feel like don't fit is really frustrating. So I feel yeah. like if they were two separate books, I would be able to stomach the the historical bits more but the fact that the historical bits are kind of weird and then they also interrupt this otherwise cool plot that i would actually like to see more of is kind of annoying that's why i think i'm having such an adverse reaction to it that's fair second thing i have a question Mm -hmm. maybe a theory okay where does the new new mutants movie take place oh i don't know I don't know if they, I feel like they've said though. I don't. Did think they say because I don't think it's Ravencroft? It would make sense if 
in 2020. The reason they're trying to make Ravencroft such a thing is if this new movie they just like inherited, they're like, how do we make this fit into the Marvel universe in the MCU? Let's put it in Ravencroft and make it weird and jube mm-hmm. And then it's like, there it is. Now everything ties up together in a pretty bow. And this would effectively be an advertising. <laughs> That's fair. I mean, they could come out and name it Ravencroft. I don't know why they would. Ravencroft hasn't really had that many ties to mutants. But uh, who knows? I mean, we just had one. Yeah, I mean, that's fair, but, like, that's one. It's a big shrug. It's more of, like, Ravencroft's always been more of, like, Spider-Man's thing. You know what I mean? Because, like, Spider-Man is effectively the Marvel equivalent to Batman. All his bad guys are just, like, deranged lunatics. True. You know, he's got a huge rogues gallery. Humongous. A lot of ties you can make between the two, and that's why, like, you know, Arkham in Gotham is an asylum, whereas, like, I mean, nobody talks about Blackgate in Gotham, but, like, plenty of bad guys go over there, but, like, yeah, we want to talk about the crazies, you know? Yeah. And there's a lot of Batman villains that are just, like, outwardly crazy. Yeah, um, true. So, yeah, I I don't know. Uh, It'll be interesting to see. It's an interesting theory yeah. if they, like throw in Ravencroft there but I think honestly they're just trying to make it into Arkham they saw the potential of it in Absolute Carnage like oh man like he's using this Ravencroft thing because like Carnage had a whole like kingdom underneath Ravencroft which presents another problem because it's like where was this secret facility you know Carnage was set up in the like catacombs beneath Ravencroft like where was a, how did people not know about this? B, where was this secret facility you guys found in these? Do the catacombs live next to it? Is it like less below than the catacombs? I don't know. Um, so yeah, weird. Yeah. Uh, so continuing on with the random little like side stories that Marvel's doing right now, they we talked about Miles Morales the end last week. Yep. Uh, this week is Venom the End. Yep. Um, so for those who didn't listen last week, Marvel's doing these The End stories. They're little one-shots focused on different characters that are pitched as the last blank story. You know what I mean? So the last whatever superhero story ever told. And it's little kind of like alternate universe, like Elseworlds type pieces that focus on the final days of these superheroes, however it may be. So the Miles Morales one was that, you know, he, you know, grew up, got old, some sort of, like, apocalyptic thing happened that ravaged the world, and he became, like, Brooklyn's protector. Right. Um, And then he went out effectively saving Brooklyn. Like, that's how he died. Venom was crazy and it was honestly like we've seen a lot of like proposed this is how the marvel universe ends completely kind of things right um and this one was so (coughs) cool like this was it was it was a really interesting book i don't think it would appeal to everybody um but like i was shocked at it was written by adam warren and i was honestly shocked at how kind of seamlessly it floated between this really like grandiose 
almost poetic descriptions of things to random like levity and like casual mentions of stuff and like random jokes <laughs> and it felt like we find out at the end who's narrating it and honestly like the combination of those two things really makes so much sense makes a ton of sense when we figure yeah. out who's narrating it um but the whole premise is that the universe is getting consumed by ai yep so the next arms race on a galactic level becomes these like supreme ultra intelligences so these like artificial intelligences that are just beyond comprehension and like the kree and the shiar and the scroll they're all like hey if you get too close to us we're gonna unleash our asi on you which is like artificial supreme intelligence i think is what they call it and eventually they do but then these artificial intelligences kind of all team up and group together they fight for a bunch and then they kind of team up and start like they like hack the freaking celestials and stuff and just like start consuming and consuming and like effectively what they're working to do it almost felt very dark side with his like anti-life equation right because they're trying to find the formula for how to shape reality right so they're like trying to consume enough mass that they're they can increase their processing power enough that they're able to figure out the formula to change reality a la scarlet witch and you know those kind of reality shaping right superheroes <laughs> meanwhile you've got venom who is the oppo becomes the opposing force to this but effectively becomes that way just because he's sad that eddie died and he has, like, this weird <laughs> superiority complex over the AIs because his internal creation structure is able to house DNA in yep. a more efficient way than the AI is. And yep. so he's like, I'm better than you, so I'm going to be better than you. So we dive into it. It dives <laughs> into a really cool concept that Donny Cates brought up in setting up his Absolute Carnage stuff. Sets it up in the pages of Venom where... The Venom symbiote, and any symbiote, but symbiotes store, like, genetic data from every host that they've had. Um, and the point being, they're supposed to take that back to Klimtar, back to the hive mind, you know, in order to, like, basically archive that data. Um, but what we find out is that the symbiotes can actually call upon that data. We see it in the books, like, in the pages of Venom. When at one point the Venom symbiote not attached to, is it attached to, I don't think it's attached to Eddie um, at this point, accesses the codex for Flash Thompson and just turns into Agent Venom and huh. then, like escapes this facility because, and it was this really cool moment for me because I love Agent Venom and Flash, narr or, uh, Eddie narrates the whole thing about how Flash was the best Venom. Aww. And I was like, Donnie, give me, give me flashback. Um, <laughs> I was like, Donnie, you obviously feel the same way. Give me my flash, boy. You get me. Um, <laughs> alas, I was really hoping that would happen in Absolute Carnage, and it did not happen. But sorry, um, sorry, dear. Flash will come back at some point in time. He's dead now because of Norman Osborn. Dick. Anyway, Norman's um, a So you know they hit on that and effectively like venom realizes his you know healing eddie he can extend eddie's life 
So Eddie gets this like super long life to the point where his like brain is decaying, but he's still like, and he has like neurons that are literally just like little symbiotes living in his brain, <laughs> replacing so his memories. This, like, you know, delirious, comatose husk, and then eventually just like just falls apart. Yeah, and so Venom starts effectively trying to like. I guess recreate all that and just pulling from all these codices and like spawning you know the world's dead so he starts like spawning humans out of like various abilities he's picked up off of mutants that he's like teamed up with and like, and, like pushes them together and makes like weird hybrid people yeah, yeah. and it's in like it's, a cool way not like a creepy way it's a super interesting story i have no idea how anyone thought of it but it's really cool and then eventually like the venom bio life forces come up against the robot forces and it's just this huge epic of like time spanning like galactic insanity and it's just it's one of the coolest end of the marvel universe stories i feel like i've ever read and i feel like to me one of the things that i found to be most impressive about it is that sometimes you have these like end of the world scenarios and it's easier when it's humies like the miles morales one was easy because like it, it only has to be a few like decades you know what i mean it doesn't have to be like the end of the universe but mm. with venom he's technically like one of these like immortalized type beings so mm -hmm. it's gonna it, it's gonna require a lot more effort but we've already seen instances or or mentionings of like end of the worlds yeah, yeah. with like different scenarios like um thor's end of the world with king thor and everything mm. And I thought what was really cool about this is that it appropriately bridged the line and and stayed within its lane of not overwriting anybody else's end of the universe. Because, yeah. like, it beautifully synchronized with Hickman's, like, vision of the future. Yeah. Like, yeah. perfectly with synchronized the whole, like, with um, it. The phalanx thing. Yeah, like, yeah. it perfectly lined up with that. And then, I won't spoil it, but Venom does some cool shit at the end. And, like, that could very well line up with how King Thor ends and and why King Thor ends the way that it does. Like, Well, and, like, in uh, History of the Marvel Universe, we are met with the end of the Marvel Universe. And it's just Galactus and Franklin Richards chilling out. And Galactus is filling him in on everything that happened in this universe so that he can... Franklin can prepare to use Galactus's energy to make a new universe. Yeah. Effectively. That could still happen. That could totally like, still happen. It's reasonable this. that once the AI like burn everything out and eventually themselves burn out. Franklin and Galactus will be the only ones those left. Two, yeah. Yeah. Effectively, like in that idea of the universe, the AI would have failed to get their reality stuff going you yeah know what i mean and it's just now here we are it's just cool that this very bizarre very like grandiose overarching potential ending to everything or to this character which is effectively immortal still fits yeah like it's so interesting that they're doing such a good job being like okay your end is different from my end but they still work mm -hmm. <laughs> like they still fit together like a puzzle it's just, it's cool. I like that Marvel's being very conscious of 
these different pieces parts of how the end is supposed to be yeah yeah i like it i'm excited to see so far these like you know they're definitely a cash in admittedly because yeah. it's like marvel's realized that people like stories about these characters dying not so much like but like they will buy stories about these characters dying yeah um and i feel like it's marvel trying to like latch in on that and you know writing elseworld stories is kind of a cheap way to you know kill off whoever and do things willy-nilly and you don't have to worry about it affecting your canon but then if people really like it you could bring it in at any point in time you know what i mean yeah and it's it's kind of like a test zone for like testing out different like things you might want to bring into a story later spider gwen gwenpool looking at y'all yeah fair um <laughs> and yeah and it um but these have been really good like they've just yeah, been they're really cool they've been well written and the art in this one was good the art in miles was a little eh. uh Martin miles was overwhelming but i feel like it's it's bizarre because marvel is finding this just like nugget of quality that they're not really applying to a lot of their other stuff. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, they, yeah, they aren't true. really, like, it's just a good good concept, good, well-written stories. Yeah. You know, thoughtful stories that, you know, have a point. Like, they both of them have, like, morals and points to share with you. And Marvel just isn't, there's some stuff that Marvel's just kind of phoning in. And I, yeah. you know, it's I don't know. True. It's weird that these things that feel like kind of just a cash in throwaway like test area, you know, this is this is gonna be like, this is like the Tekken of Marvel. It's like, oh, we're gonna use this to test, but it's actually really good. You know what I mean? Yeah, it so. it makes you wonder, maybe Marvel, it would behoove you to stop giving all of your primary titles to the same like three authors and maybe yeah. spread the love a little. Marvel's whole thing right now is just quantity over quality. They just want to have more titles. More, 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 so that they can flood the stands and people just see that Marvel logo everywhere. And flood know? they are. Yeah, yeah, they are flooding. Um, anyway, that's going to do it for us. Uh, all four of those books. Four, right? We talked four? Yes. Four? I can't count. Yes. Um, all four One, of those two, books three, are worth picking up, to be honest. Uh, they're good in their own ways even if they're kind of weird and just advertisements for stuff but uh <laughs> thank you guys for listening if you want more cover b you can find us online at coverbpodcast.com you can also find us on facebook and twitter at cover b podcast you can also find chris and i both on instagram chris is posting stuff about cats and food and i'm cosplay and cats there's a lot of cats in our life a lot of cats you probably heard the cats during this episode because yep. one of them has been a hot mess today she really has she's all over the place she's gonna get a nice talking to <laughs> it's true grumpy cat um but yeah so find us on instagram and if you're looking for a new way to rep your favorite podcast come hang out on our website and buy you some merch get you a hat get you a shirt get you a tote bag it'll be dope we also do gaming stuff over on twitch uh you can find us at tink tink games that's tink t-i-n-k uh, on Twitch, uh, we stream either T and I or as a group or our friends Matt and Ryan will be streaming every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday in the evening times. That's right. Uh, so we play all today. sorts of different games from Resident Evils to PUBG to Vermintide to Rocket League, Rocket League, Borderlands. We've yep. played a lot of stuff, so come and check us out. 
anyway that's gonna do it for us i hope everybody has a fantastic weekend um i hope you're doing something cool i hope you're enjoying the weather the weather seems to be weird in the u.s right now super weird it's like cold in some places and hot in others but hey and then swapping uh yeah (laughs) uh so get out there and enjoy life Why are you sitting here listening to a podcast? Go outside. What are you doing with your life? (laughs) Uh, And we will catch you back here for the next episode of Of Cover Cover Me. Me. Bye, y'all.